You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 117. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. So today we're talking to Sarah Sloan. Sarah is a Chicago-based educator, writer, and coach who's on a mission to create more light bulb moments and help empower others to powerfully embody their kinks and sexual desires. Sarah is the director of communications for Hashtag Open, a dating app that offers an authentic meeting space for polyamorous, ethically non-monogamous, and kinky people. And Sarah has taught for over 20 years with organizations, events, universities, retail shops for the U.S., and has written a ton of articles, chapters for books, a whole bunch of different things. And the main topic that we're going to dive into today is actually chastity, which isn't necessarily what you think, right? And that's our main topic, but we also wind up chatting about some other things, including hashtag open, uh, the dating app for non-monogamous people that Sarah is working with, uh, just kind of a wider chat about the state of kink in general and a whole bunch of things. So go ahead, buckle up, and let's jump in. We bring you Sarah Sloan. And you're out in Chicago, right? I'm in right? Chicago. Actually, originally from Virginia and came out into kink and ethical non-monogamy in Richmond and D.C. was the area I was moving around in and then moved out here about 10 years ago. Yeah, I've been actively doing polyamory for over 22 years now and been teaching for 20. Nice. I I remember some stuff from when you were around here, but Mm -hmm. it's been a while. It was a long time ago now. And of course, in kink and and poly years, like 10 years (laughs) is four generations. That's a whole nother story. (laughs) I cracked up the other day because I was telling somebody that my boy and I just celebrated seven years together and they were like, wow, you've had a kink relationship going for seven years. And I'm like, well, it's a relationship and we're kinky, but they're just like, oh, people don't have power exchange relationships that last that long. And I'm just like, "Mm, that feels sad. Like it's sad. That's the perspective that you have is that these tend to be much more short duration. I think that speaks some to, and I don't know, I don't know if it's this way in Chicago. One thing that has been interesting to me with traveling a little bit is it's different in different areas, but at least to here, there's a big difference between the leather community and the rest of the kink community. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what you just said speaks a little bit to that separation yeah. because it's it's not uncommon in the leather community for people to get out of that long. I think the other thing is because the leather community is really rooted in queerness. And one of the cool things about being queer structurally is that it's a rejection of the ideas of things like that monogamy is obligatory or that you can only be in love with one person at a time. And all of that stuff that kind of gets wrapped up with heteronormativity is not on the table when it comes to queer relationships, other than the fact that we were all saturated with it. 
And so I think people who have taken the choice early on of saying, I'm going to reject what I was told relationships are supposed to be about, can wrap their brain around the fact that you can have a relationship that transforms itself multiple times throughout the lifetime of it. We went out to Denver before COVID for the, they were running this event called Apex, which was like a power exchange conference. Mm -hmm. I, I think they're trying to do like a West Coast MSC kind of a mm -hmm. thing. And it was funny because we were a little leery because it was a first time, a first time event and we, we made them jump through a few hoops, but we wound up going out there. And it was great event. Yeah, it was actually it was hilarious because it was one of the best managed events I've ever been to, but or, or taught at least. But one thing that was really interesting out there was that separation between the kink communities and the leather community did not seem to really be that present mm -hmm. there. And that was a really I found that having spent most of our time around here where that is really a yeah. thing. I found that really interesting, but it was way more integrated in Denver. I think. I noticed the same thing when I went to, I've taught a couple of times at the one in Dallas, International Master Slave Contest, South mm -hmm. Plains, that's it. I've taught there a few times. And I think when you start getting into the power exchange stuff, there is a lot more commingling. I think it's easier for people to be together in a power exchange event when there's not necessarily, oh, I'm going to have all of these sexual or kink encounters. And they go, oh, okay, so there's the, the middle ground is more the type of relationship. Yeah, I've seen the same thing at South Plains. Here in Chicago, not so much. But the power exchange group communities here in Chicago are just not real active. There's a couple of them out in the suburbs. But my boy actually is still one of the co-facilitators, even though they haven't had it since March. But he and I were two of the co-facilitators for a power exchange roundtable. And we were one of the only power exchange ongoing groups here in Chicago, which was really weird for a city yeah, this big. Side. You'd think, oh, Chicago must have tons of stuff. And it's, I think it's got, it's the bigger, the, the bigger the area, the more fractured the community can get because people can dial down into super tiny niches real easily because there's still mm -hmm. plenty of people. So there's like a, a more universal group. It's, no, there's actually a couple of femdom groups. There's a couple of other groups that there's like a Korean group that meets locally. But yeah, so the bigger the community, the those overarching umbrellas start to break down further. Yeah, I know in the, the, the Baltimore area, because that's where we're at, mm -hmm. it's, there's a lot of, or at least pre-COVID, we'll see how it turns out afterwards, yeah. what the community really looks like. But there is a lot of all these little, like, pieces of the community and some of them overlap but a lot of them don't yeah. like the power exchange community particularly like the ms community is very much over here where you have all the way on the other side the tng rope community mm -hmm. and it's almost like that specifically broken down there's the rope groups and then the tng rope groups and then there's the tng that's just like the general kink groups. And it's very, yeah, fractured is a good word for it. Yeah, it's definitely a big difference than when I came in. And I, I don't want to be one of those people that's, oh, the internet's fucked us all up. Because if it wasn't for the internet, <laughs> I never would have found it. But I do think that being able to find community in much more specific ways online does diminish the, the power of a local group because there's not as much intermingling. And it came up, there was a group in Charlottesville that we used to drive up to. I actually met my leather daddy there and he's been my daddy for 21 years. Like I met a lot of my closest friends there, but it was like the most laid back kink group ever. And it was easily 30% 
plus gay men. And the parties we went to, there'd be somebody getting his dick sucked right next to a uh, het male dom flogging his heterosexual female submissive right next to a gangbang, right next to a couple of trans women getting it on. And it was just like, there wasn't that sense of, oh, we don't play like that. It was because there wasn't, there weren't enough people to have any one of those divisions. It, it was a great place to come up and kink because you would see something and you'd be like, oh, that's the thing. And there was no like you had to go to a special place or you got to see a wider range of what people do. And I think that drops some of that, some of the bias that we create around different kinds of play. It's like when you're like, oh, OK, so that's a thing. And you see it and you're like, oh, OK, that's it. That's fine. I get that. You know, <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because one thing we've discussed some and it and certainly not talk to other people about it as well. But and again, I'm sure some of it's local. They, even out here, like. When you go out to the kink groups, because there is that separation between the, the gay leather and the, the other kink groups, you still see a lot of times like a stigma against like gay male mm -hmm. sexual stuff going on. And not women, that's fine. Oh, yeah. But if it's, yeah, it, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting phenomenon considering where everything came from, right? Yeah. You definitely, see that not uncommonly like it's the, the difference is stark way. that's like our cultural homophobia so the dating app hashtag open we literally have 23 24 genders to choose from and 30 relationship styles and dozens of orientations and the number of people that still are coming in that are like they literally will put like no gay stuff and it's almost always people who appear to be cis men but it's, you don't actually have to say no gay stuff. Like, just don't look for men. This is the simplest thing you can do. But yeah, there's this cultural idea that, and it's not just men that deal with it. Like, I've seen women also get really upset when their male partner comes out as bisexual because they're like, the idea of him hooking up with other women is fine, but him hooking up with a man somehow trips something in our brains or in their brains that's, oh, no, that's not okay. So, yeah, it's this really rigid idea of male sexuality that's really just problematic as shit. We're going to talk about chassis mm -hmm. today, and I, I feel like we're flowing into the conversation. Yeah. So if it's okay with you, just roll with yeah. it for a minute. I, actually, I, I want to talk about open for a second mm -hmm. if that works for yeah. you i'm sure you're yeah. thrilled to talk about it considering you're yeah. the communications director there yeah. so can you just spend 10 seconds and just chat about what open is and what people might want to know about it and we'll just chat about it for a few minutes before we hop into awesome. talking about our main topic for them so the first thing is that we actually pronounce the hashtag at the beginning so it's hashtag open hashtag open is a dating app that is specifically geared to people who are engaged in or interested in ethical non-monogamy we don't say that we're for polyamorous people or swingers or people in open relationships we're for we're all of that what we do is we give tools to people to enable them to match and and connect in ways that feel really authentic. You can list interests by hashtag. You can set your boundaries. We encourage people to actually like state their boundaries up front. You do have literally infinite ways to identify yourself. There's no drop down that you have to go male, female, other. Like the drop down is actually like 20 some options. At this point, we're closing in on 80,000 profiles, most of which are here in the United States. I would say 90% of our membership is North America. And we have people that are just 
our in our people in our app are amazing. There's this huge range of genders and orientations, lots of kinky folks in there, lots of people with chastity as a hashtag. The other kind of cool thing about it is that if you're in a relationship and you're dating as a couple, you can create a partnered profile so that people know who both of you are. And you can hook those solo profiles up to the partner profile. So let's say, for instance, that y'all had a partner profile as well as your individual profiles. And the three of us kind of swiped right on each other. We could engage in a chat where I could actually see, oh, Cassie said this and Josh said this. And so there's not that sense of one person driving the, the situation or maybe setting up a partner profile without their partner really being on board with it. Mm-hmm. So it really does allow for a lot more authentic communication. So that sounds really awesome. So I guess the obvious question, like with dating stuff in general, mm-hmm. right, is it's always driven by large network effects. That's mm-hmm. what makes them useful. So how, I know you said 80,000 profiles. How many active profiles are, are typically on the Within a month, easily a third of our members are, are in and out and swiping. Sorry, my hedgehog just decided to make a fuss. So she's very cranky when she hears me talking at night. She's making noise in her habitat. Sorry, it just startled me for a second. I, the <laughs> fact that you have a hedgehog is worth talking about in another yeah. cell. <laughs> so sorry, but go ahead. No, you totally said about a- no, we actually have pretty serious engagement. We also offer people a lot of ways to connect that aren't just dating out. As I mentioned, we have a weekly hashtag open ed series. We've done 37 or 38 of them. Last week, we had Lotus Rope Wolf and Blaine from New York who talked about betting for relationships and play. We have Jessica Fern doing Poly Secure this week. Everything from like basic sex stuff to topics around open relationships, topics around understanding yourself better, how to take care of your own needs, how to understand your own identities and explore other options. So we create that as a way for people to build community with each other. And we also do uh, monthly members nights. I think the most successful one is we had a 30 person Cards Against Humanity game going which was hilarious. And all of this is virtual. So when the pandemic hit, we decided, what are people going to need right now? Because like we know people need connection. How can we provide ways for people to connect? And we found that's actually been a really big motivating factor in a lot of our members coming to join us and being active in the app is because we do set a tone that this is about respect and consent from the get-go. Well, I will say one question we get a lot, right, is what dating sites work for folks who are polyamorous or non-monogamous. So I think it's fantastic that you're building something specifically around that. I'm definitely hoping it gains momentum, enough momentum to really be useful to people going forward, right? If it gets to a point where people can get on and find people in their area, that's going to be an amazing resource for people and it sounds like you're headed in that direction yeah here in chicago i like i have probably swiped right or left on every person and every week i go in and there are new people yeah i think it's you know the question of like when is there enough we Mm -hmm. know that there's enough in some of our larger areas the other thing that we know though is people who are ethically non-monogamous aren't only coming together to try to find hookups or try to find dates they're also looking for community they're looking for friends they're looking for those friends that that will be maybe a friends with benefits, maybe they'll introduce you to another friend. Like we're really people who are atypical dating app users in that we offer longevity. As polyamorous folks and ethically non-monogamous folks, we're not like gonna mm. eat it. I talk about Hinge, which is like the dating app that's designed to be deleted. 
that's their statement because they want you to find your partner as quickly as possible, apparently. We're like the dating app that wants you to never delete us because we're always going to be looking for somebody new or for some new experience or some new person to chat with. So we really are building a community instead of just a one and done dating app. So you want to you ask anything about Open before we move on, Cassie? No, I think we're good. Yeah, but no, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely, I love what you're doing with it. It sounds pretty neat. We're going to have to definitely dig into it some Please more. Please do. It's, and it's at some point we will be having a financial offering for people to support us, but membership is totally free. And that will always be the case. There will always be a free membership. It won't be extraordinarily limited. We're not going to just show you like three people a day and make you pay more. But we do want to give people the opportunity to support us. So let's kind of hop into the main topic for the evening, which is chastity. Yeah. This is actually a really cool topic. When this was brought up as a possibility, Cass and I were both pretty interested because it's one of those, it's one of those kinks that has never really spoken personally to either of us, I think, in a huge way. We just thought it would be an absolutely amazing opportunity to bring that side of things to the show. So I'm super happy that you, this is, this is a passion of yours that you can speak on. Yeah. And I actually started the same way when I first heard about chastity play, I was just like, that doesn't sound so great. And some of that comes from my background in being in a relationship where my partner told me that they just dismissed my lack of sexual desire. And so there was a lot of emotional gaming around how I wasn't enough sexually so I think for me, when I first was exposed to the idea of chastity play, I had a really strong reaction to it because it felt too much like it was tapping into some of that old negative gaslighting abusive behavior that I'd experienced. But then I started talking to people who were into it and realizing like, oh, actually, it's something that is powerfully erotic for both the person who's being confined or the person who's in chastity as well as for their partner. And it doesn't have to be any one particular thing. It's one of those things that as a kinky person, it can go in so many different directions and be included in so many different kinds of scenes or relationship dynamics. It's something that can be done very covertly. It's something that can be done that you can point out as an embarrassment or a light humiliation scene. It can be a way of offering service. It can be a way of doing an SM scene that engages with pain and strong sensation. So it, it's one of those activities that flexes into whatever your thing is. Chastity can be a component of it that can be really hot for both people. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm already like pinning a couple things that I want to talk, talk a little more detail about later. I think just to start, could you give just like a general definition, like when you're talking about chastity play mm -hmm. of what it is and what it isn't? Absolutely. For me, I talk about chastity play as it's the intentional control over somebody's sexual pleasure. And that can be whether it's through using a device. It can be through using commands and orders like a, a power exchange or a DS or an MS dynamic. It can also be doing things like dulling the sensation or changing the sensation up so that somebody can't necessarily enjoy the same kinds of sensation. So you're using their body against them in a way. But I don't think that... I think that the biggest misconception about chastity is that it's something that has to go on for long durations. A lot of people see stories about somebody who's in chastity for days and weeks and months and even longer. And I think that's a lot of the masturbatory kind of fantasy about chastity, 
But a lot of people use chastity as something that is very short duration, maybe even just a few hours to a, a day or three. That doesn't make it less chastity. It just makes it something that fits into the lives of the people who are enjoying it rather than some kind of monolithic fantasy idea. So let me ask this, because this is funny how this is going already. I'm like, wait a minute, maybe we do engage in chastity a little bit more than I realized. Like with that, when you were talking about like commands and orders, so where does, when the way that we're talking about chastity right now, where does tease and denial or, because I think for most people, including myself, right? Like when you think chastity, you think device, right? Mm -hmm. Like chastity device, like making stuff unusable. Where do commands and orders fall in that spectrum for you? What does that look like? I love that you said tease and denial because that is absolutely the gateway drug for many of us for chastity play because the whole concept of tease and denial is to get somebody so aroused and not allow them to progress. And that can be an incredible power trip, whether it's just like a little bit of a casual tease and denial or an ongoing one. So I think for a lot of people that start off with chastity play, that's the reason they do it is because they want to get their partner hot and bothered and then say no and watch their reaction after they hear the no. But that can be done just as easily by having them ask permission to touch themselves and you say no. They Just because there's not a device in the way doesn't mean that they can't engage in chastity play because it's an order. So I guess the obvious question at this point, is it like, would it be chastity? I'm just going to be really like, okay. So if you're, why are you, why are you <laughs> so, so would like, cause again, I think for myself and most people, like we think chastity, it's like a device. Like now you can't use your junk. Mm -hmm. Right. So would like having somebody use you for sex and then tell you like, you can't go any further. Would that be considered chastity or would that be? Yeah, absolutely. It could. Are you limiting their pleasure? Yeah. Do you want to think of that about chastity is actually the more important question. Because if it's hot for you to think about that as like, I'm enforcing some chastity here, we're going to get off on that fact, call it chastity. But I think that one of the problems that I've always had about seeing workshops or books about chastity play is they always say, oh, you have to have this device, you have to have this belt. And there is legitimately so many challenges with, with that concept, both from an, a financial accessibility standpoint to a physical accessibility standpoint, that it is, I feel like putting that as a requirement on whether you're doing chastity play or not is inherently inaccessible. So, so for me, it's rethinking, like, why do we do chastity play? It, it's to control somebody's expression of pleasure or re receiving of pleasure. It's to control the sensation of touch. It's to control the sensation of orgasm. It's the contr to control arousal. And that can be up to whatever point that both people decide that it is. It could be you don't get to have an orgasm. It could also be you don't get to be penetrated or to have your penis touched. It's funny because I, I started this off with, yeah, like it's never really appealed to either of us. And I'm like, but under your definition of chastity. See, but you weren't looking at me when you said that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we've had this discussion was, before. Okay. So I was looking at Sarah and I was like, mm, mm, I don't know if you saw the face. And the reason that is I'm not interested in chastity in the terms of, for me, and I've grown as a person, but when I first started thinking of chastity, when I first came into the scene from Men in Tights came to my brain. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah. the comedy, but she's wearing this huge giant device that's basically like a humongous tin can mm -hmm. on her waist, right? Something ridiculous. 
And so that idea doesn't really appeal to me. And the idea of my partners never getting off doesn't appeal to me because mm-hmm. I like, but the idea of you don't get to if I don't want you to, or the idea of I use you and abuse you and, and do the things I want to do to you. And then sometimes I let you off and sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. Now that is appealing. Yeah. And so chassis in that sense is very much something that's appealing. It's more the idea of the long-term like caging or the long-term not ever allowing that isn't appealing to me. Because I like being able to get people hot and bothered and actually see the fruits of my labor Mm -hmm. via orgasm. And sometimes I don't. And I like being able to make that decision at the time. Yeah, that that is 100% a chastity play mindset. Um, you know, in all honesty, I really love the thing that drives me as a top is that I love to create reactions in my partner. And that's not exclusively limited to like pain reaction. It's I like to see my partner experience pleasure. And there is no greater high for me personally, than seeing my partner on the edge, asking for permission. Like that is the hottest thing ever. And the ability to say no, I may not, I joke with people, with my boy, it's, I teach this class and he's, yeah, we don't do that. And I'm like, "Hmm, cute that you think we don't do that. Uh, (laughs) Because it's still, I don't say no, but he still has to ask permission. And so that's a little bit of that chastity device flavor going on, if that makes sense. Yes. Sorry, she's... See, I've been sitting back being quiet this whole time. I've been sitting back being quiet. That's good. It's made for like, good discussion. And I was like, I'm just going to let... play out. Yes, mm-hmm. I was. And I was like, because when you first were like, neither one of us have ever been interested in chastity, I was like, ah, uh, bring that back a but little bit. But to be fair, that's a discussion we've had. So you're it right. Is. It has changed for you in the it, way that you've thought about it. In the way that I've thought about it. And, and actually, it really like a big thing that came out of this was actually like prepping for this Mm -hmm. podcast as I was sitting there and I was like, the way I think about chastity is not necessarily what chastity is. And because for me, what I would define the things that I just talked about is me fucking with my toys. That is how I would define it. And I like to fuck with my toys. It's fun. But I've never really given it a name. And that's why when you said the whole like tease and denial, and I'm like, I like to play with that. And I like to play with making my... Oh, I love permission. I love making people ask me for permission. It is such a top high for me. It really is. It's like the people that haven't tried it, like they go like, what? But those of us who, who really love getting people to dance on that edge, whatever that edge is, whether it's the edge between pain and pleasure or the edge between like the arousal and the orgasm, when we can find that edge and play so that our partner stays on that edge for that really long time, it is just the biggest high. It really is. And it's, I think when I first got in the community, they were like, oh, are you submissive or dominant? Because, you know, th- you had two kinds, country and Western, basically, when I got started. And I was like, I didn't really know what the answer would be. And I was trying to figure out, like, what do you mean by this? And they said, oh, yeah, the dominant or the top is the person who, like, plans the scene out and they do the thing and they do the flog. And, the, and I'm just like, that sounds boring as fuck man, where's the fun in that? Like the way that they described it was just like, yeah, no, that's, I, I got better things to do with my time. But the first time I tried it, that I played with somebody who was giving me great reaction, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh, this is what I, this is it. This is what I'm into creating those moments. 
So I'm curious, and this was one of the questions that I marked to come back to. It ties nicely into this. But so you mentioned, and then there's this middle ground, right, of different ways to play with chastity in a scene or over a short period of time. And again, I don't, I don't think that's something I've ever thought of. I don't think that's something most people think of, right? I think it's typically like that thought is like chastity is this long-term thing. So mm-hmm. what are some of the ways that you can play with chastity in the shorter term, kind of integrate that into your scenes, integrate that into your, your interactions? Because that sounds really interesting. One of my favorites as an introduction that I would like to do with folks is to have somebody lock up or be chased for a period of time prior to a play date, whether it's a sexual play date or an SM play date. It could even be having them lock up and be locked up during during that early time and maybe during dinner. Maybe we're out in pre-COVID times. Maybe we'd go out to dinner and we'd sit at the table across from each other and there would be this kind of, they've been basically prepping and heating up for this date now for an entire day. They're turned on, they're aroused, they can't do anything about it and they don't know what's going to come next. And I, I like doing that because I think it's something that you can do. I'm a really lazy top and I really like to do things that the person I'm going to be playing with kind of is setting themselves up and they're doing all the work and I don't have to really do much. Having somebody pregame for a play date by locking up or being chased for 24 hours ahead of time. And if you're not using the device, just saying you're not allowed to touch your genitals without express permission other than for cleaning them. That can be a way of introducing some of that chastity mindset ahead of time. And then not allowing them to touch or specifically not touching them during the play date. If you're going to be doing sexual stuff, just don't use that part of the body. So it can be something that can be as simple as the kinds of things that we would do to prep for a regular date. We can wrap some of that. I want you to hold off on any pleasure until you're in my presence and you have one. That can be a really subtle, really easy way to sneak it in. And if it becomes really frustrating for people, it's a great time to find out when you haven't invested $150 in a Like, in all honesty, I think there's a mental control can be just as powerful. But starting out with it as just like a pregame for a date or having somebody remain chased for even longer, if you want, having somebody be on orgasm restriction for a week prior to a date. It can be something I've seen people who've done little games like Cassie, you were talking about maybe I give them permission, maybe I don't. I, my boy is a gamer. We have plenty of dice around the house. And one of the things that he was suggesting as one of the one of the ways that I could do chastity with other people, not him, would be to roll the dice. And if it was a certain number, then I would let them out and they could have an orgasm. And if it was below that number, then they were SOL. And so there are actually a lot of people that gamify chastity too. So if you're a nerd, you can totally come up with all kinds of creative ways of doing it. But yeah, it literally can just wrap into an existing play session or a play experience with relatively minor prep work. And again, I think it's a great way to figure out, hey, is this something that gets us both off before you go any further down the road? And yeah, some people do want to be in very long-term chastity for months or even longer, but nobody just starts out like that. So speaking of devices, because you've mentioned a lot of of devices Mm -hmm. and things like that, could you talk a little bit about them? Is there ones that are better or worse or better for different genitals, Mm -hmm. et cetera? For folks who are like, I might want to try this out. And we'll start there. If I've done some of this tears and denial stuff, and I actually want to put my partner in some sort of device, Mm -hmm. what would be like a good starting point for that? So basically, the devices are going to be 
boil down to what your genitals look like what or what your options are. For folks with vulvas, there's really not much other than a chastity belt, which is usually, I, I tell people, think of a thong, except with a wider strap that goes between the legs and over the crotch. That's basically to block access. There are some that are sanitary enough to be worn for longer periods of time, but obviously with anything that goes on your genitals, cleaning is going to be a challenge or that's going to be a thing that you need to consider. A lot of people who are engaged in longer term chastity for folks with vulvas may actually have piercings that they can lock together to limit access. But honestly, the options for folks with vulvas when it comes to chastity are off. And they're just not there. And because everybody's body is different, you generally have to get something that's either really massively adjustable or custom made. And we know what it's like in the kink community. The minute somebody says custom made, you might as well plan on, I could get this or I could get an engagement ring. Which of the two things shall I afford? (laughs) But the cool thing about the belts is that many of them, and these are also often used for people who want to do anal chastity that do have penises. There's still a belt, but often there will be a plug or a dildo that can strap into the inside of the belt so that the person who's in chastity is actually being plugged or has has a dildo in their vagina while they're being they're having the access limited so so there are that is one flexibility about the belt styles for what most people think about though is they think of the penis cages because those are ubiquitous i don't know if y'all saw the information back in october that a bluetooth enabled chastity cage got hacked and basically, uh, some people were into, were engaged in some longer-term, non-consensual chastity play there. So, side note, always check what you're downloading from the internet. <laughs> um, I did not read that, but you can bet I'm going to now. Oh, yeah. It is. And it's, there's actually, there is open source software out there that's actually really stable. And a number of people have used that in their stuff. But, yeah, this one was hacked. But essentially, a cock cage generally has a ring that uh, goes around the base of the penis and underneath the scrotum and has a small cage on the outside of it that the penis is inserted into and then it's locked. The problem with penis cages, and, and as a person who has watched many friends of mine with penises that have tried to do this, is that there is so much difference in penises that there's nowhere near a one size fits all. And it depends on things like if if you're a grower or a shower or how long your penis is flaccid, what shape your penis is when it's erect. Because people who are thicker towards the head will fit differently into cages. You know, the unfortunate part is that it does take a lot of patience and often many tries at getting the right device. But the cool thing is that you can get a starter uh, cock cage fairly cheap and you can actually hack together with old belts a vulva type belt so so there are ways of getting started but unfortunately it's having to go get a suit tailored it's, you might be lucky enough to buy off the rack but at some point if you're going to want fit for a longer period of time you're probably going to need to go with something that's a little bit more custom It's interesting because my first thought when you were talking about revolver havers versus penis havers is, yeah, it doesn't seem like there's probably a fantastic way for revolver havers to be in long-term device chastity Mm -hmm. anyways, which I wonder if that's part of the reason that you see so much less 
like erotica and material with that because it does seem like that would get yeah be really difficult just from I found the the piercing idea because I've seen folks who have had piercings where they've had like piercings on either side Mm -hmm. and and I was like that sounds appealing to me so anyway it wouldn't prevent like clitoral play per se but I mean the penetration the other thing is that there are companies that do chassis devices that lock into existing piercings. And I'm a former body piercer. So I'm just going to tell you that there's a little bit of a bias on my side towards it, because I think that if it's properly taken care of, if you have a vulva, and you can handle having labia piercings, like that is actually a really great way of doing it. There are penis chastity devices that actually work basically lock on with Prince Albert piercing. So I think for many people who want more long term that are not adverse to having their genitals pierced, that's actually one of the easier ways to do it. Not necessarily less expensive, but certainly more comfortable. So, you know, it's interesting because we have this whole discussion about the long term versus short term and, and how it doesn't have to be long term. How, so like, I'm curious is, you know, how for so many people, right, they have this idea of a 24-7 power exchange relationship, but like, it's really more on the fantasy end and not really something that they want in reality. I'm curious, like with the long-term chastity, is that as prevalent as people might get the idea of from being online and on FetLife and stuff like that? Or is that something that is really generally more of a, like for a lot of people, it is more of a shorter term thing? I I would say that the overwhelming majority of people who explore chastity play are exploring being locked up for less than five days. It's not if you don't do it for six months, like you're a horrible chastity. No, but that's like saying <laughs> if you only pull a flogger out once every year to deliver a light spanking does that make you not kinky enough well there's some people who think that too. well i i think it's (laughs) i personally am like the reason that we explore alternative sexuality and alternative relationships is it's not about competition this isn't about who can hit the hardest who can bleed the most who can come the most frequently that's all well and good but that doesn't actually have anything to do with what is actually fulfilling our needs and what's what's making our soul happy And if chastity is something that you want to do with your partner on your anniversary as a little tease and denial thing, and you don't ever want to do a device, but you want to do it, that makes you no less of a player than somebody who wants to wear the device. Obviously, your experiences are going to be different and what you need to know before doing it are going to be different. But that's the same as with any kind of kink, right? It's if you're going to take a bunny for a flogger that's really short and your partner's wearing a blindfold, you can pretty much hit anything. You cannot pretty much hit everything with a rubber flogger. At that point, you need to have some knowledge. You need to have some understanding of how bodies work and how people respond to pain in order to use that safely. It's just that the more you want to use something or the more intensely you want to use it, the more that you need to understand both the physical and the psychological impact of doing so, and you need to do some risk mitigation with that. So what might be some signs for people who like, they are interested in chastity, maybe they are trying like more of a tease and denial and the command and that kind of end of things. What would be some reasons that they might want to look at trying a device? I think that for people who really want a barrier or a physical symbol. Those are the two primary groups of people that I would say should look at a device. Because for some people, 
it's not necessarily about the control. It's about the symbol of control. As we're talking about dynamics like DS and MS relationships, the fact that somebody is in service to another person doesn't need to mean that they have a big collar on their throat. But sometimes that collar can feel really good for both the wearer and the person who is in control because they see that symbol and it it goes, oh, yeah, this is the mindset. This is where we're at with each other right now. So for people who need that or for people who want that, absolutely. There is also the sense of like sensations being deadened over time makes for more intensity of sensation later. So for a number of people that are in chastity, like with a penis cage that blocks a lot of sensation, if you imagine like, Cassie, you might be able to relate to this. It's like wearing a bra for eight hours. It's just a little (laughs) bit too small. And when you get home and you take it off and your whole body goes, yes, and relaxes. (laughs) Part of that is everything is really sensitive. Everything is really alive again because now the nerves are getting stimulated. And that can be incredibly erotic. So that would be another reason to explore it. I think also like some of us are gadget nerds. Some of us just like to have the thing that we do. We we like to have 15 different floggers or we like to have 20 different violet wand attachments. It's, you can absolutely do that. You can go crazy on that with chastity play. But yeah, it's it doesn't mean that it's different, but it's like, why do people want to do chastity? What is it about it that turns them on? And that's going to lead where you're going to do it. That's going to lead what devices you're going to use. That's going to lead how you negotiate it with your partner. So speaking of that, if chastity is something that you're interested in, because I, I, just like with any kink, there is that feeling of shame sometimes. Mm -hmm. There's that feeling of being weird, especially if it's something that you and a long-term partner haven't discussed or haven't done before. Any suggestions on how to bring up chastity or like, soft try Mm -hmm. chastity with your partner? I think starting by telling them why it's a turn on for you and what you think that they could get out of it. One of the things that people don't do often enough when they're trying to broach a subject with a partner is actually give their partner a reason to say, yeah, let's do that. My statement is often, what are you bringing to the table for me? And I look at this with online dating. I think it's great that you're telling me what all your fantasies are, but what are you, how is that going to turn me on? How am I going to get my needs met? I see that you're looking for a unicorn or you're looking for this kind of experience. And and I see it on uh, SM groups as well. It's I'm looking for a mistress to dominate me and do this to me. And I want to feel this way. And I want to feel this way. And I'm just like, and what are you going to get? So when we're communicating about a fantasy that we have to remember, what is our partner going to get out of this? Potentially, if I know that, like, I really like seeing my partner turned on and I really want to try to ramp it up a little bit, I might say something like, I really love the way that it looks when you're like in that meaty and hot and sexy stage and where I know that like you're really relying on me giving you permission or you're relying on my approval. I would love to try extending that, maybe do a little bit of chastity for our next play date and not have you touch or remove the device when I decided that it's okay. I think that would make for a really amazing orgasm for you afterwards because of all the teasing. Is that something you'd be willing to do? So thinking about it from what might they have um, the pleasure. For somebody who's on the bottom side, they might say something like, okay, I know that you love it when... I'm begging, or I know that you love knowing that I'm following your orders. I would really love to be able to offer you my sexual pleasure to be under your control. Would that be something that you would be interested in? 
because that would be really hot for me. Presenting it as this is something that's going to be mutually pleasurable for both of us. Let's give it a shot has a lot better impact than just going, I want to start doing chastity play. Would you lock me up for the rest of my life? That never works. <laughs> but it also is providing the context of how to do this in a very short term for a date to see how it works is a lot more accessible than trying to throw it out there, particularly when, as both of y'all were saying, like the idea of what chastity is can seem very story of, oh, it can seem very much, oh, you're going to be locked up for six months. Well, that's like a hell of a commitment. But when you can break it out and say, I want to explore this for tonight, would you be interested in that? I think that invites people to say, sure, I'll give it a shot. Let's try that. And it's a very, it's a very comfortable way to explore a new kind of play when there's not a lot of, not a lot of commitment to, to having a lot of skin in the game. When you know, hey, in six hours, this will either be something that we really enjoyed or it will be something we'll go like, yeah, let's not do that again. So I just want to put a mark in here for this because one thing we do get asked all the time is how do I ask my partner to do X where X is anything, <laughs> right? And that is as good an explanation as I've ever heard. So I appreciate that. I think people get a lot out of that. That was really good. I almost think you have some practice at, at <laughs> teaching people that. Part of it is also navigating the world as working in a, on a dating app that is specifically for ethically non-monogamous people is we get a lot of questions of how do I get my partner to open up? How do I get my partner to try King? And we can see in real time how that works for people. And so like we know both there and in my work as doing sexuality coaching and education is that we all are more willing to try things than we might think if we trust that our needs are going to be met. And the way that a lot of people tend to present something, especially something that they're really nervous about or something that's been a fantasy of theirs for a while and they've never approached the topic, is they tend to like verbally just throw out all of the stuff that they're really into. And it can be really difficult to have somebody just run this laundry list out at you when you're not really prepared for that. And so this is something that we also talk about in workplace dynamics is come to the table with an eye towards collaboration. If we're looking at like, how do both of us or all of us get what we would like to have out of this connection, out of this relationship, then we're more mindful about looking for those opportunities as we're communicating our needs and our wants. So speaking about people bringing this up, right, one of the concerns that people might have is health concerns, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty common worry for people, like either in the medium term or the long term, like what are some of the, the health things that might pop up? So what would your answer be to that question? A lot of the health issues come up from either uh, lack of cleanliness, so like hygiene kinds of issues. They're fortunately relatively rare because most of the chastity devices that are made for longer term use are made in a way that allows for some cleaning to happen. A lot of the cages that are made for penises are actually, they have openings along the shaft. And so it's fairly easy to get like soapy hands up in the shower and clean everything pretty thoroughly. But anything that limits your ability to clean or limits your ability to urinate and for somebody who's menstruating, the ability to deal with, that's a right out in any kind of longer term. The other things that can tend to happen are irritation. And that's actually one of the bigger ones is after a while, anything that you wear on your body is going to be potentially irritating. So in that, I would say look for devices that are made well, that don't have plastic seams. Imagine this hard plastic with a seam wrapping around your junk. 
like after a little while, they, nobody's going to find that erotic. That's not the erotic kind of pain as when it's chafing. That's There's nothing sexy about that. <laughs> but things like understanding, hey, it's how well it's made. Also doing things to mitigate it, like using lube. Silicone lube is really handy to keep for the inside of chassis devices because it means that your skin doesn't chafe on the inside of it as your body is moving around. So that irritation is another piece. The third issue comes up with constriction or twisting. This can happen when, uh, if somebody's using, let's say, bondage, we're used to thinking about bondage not cutting off the circulation, and so we caution people about that. But I think sometimes people don't necessarily take into consideration the fact that chassis devices are potentially, if they're not fitting well, going to cut off circulation. So you want to make sure that it it fits you appropriately and that everything feels okay. Nothing's turning blue. Nothing's getting cold to the touch. Kind of basic stuff that we would talk about with, with bondage. The other thing that I would add, especially for folks with penis cages, is that this is a thing that qu happens quite frequently with folks who wear overnight. During the nighttime, most penises, they get aroused and then they drop down a few times. And what that does is it actually can move the chassis device down, which can end up pulling on the testicles and can be really uncomfortable. And, and by really uncomfortable and really uncomfortable, it, it will wake you up. And it can be overcome. It is not necessarily the first thing that people want to be woken up by. And it's like the one chastity play scene that or that situation that I had go really badly was I had gotten this wonderful uh, $150 hard plastic, ABS plastic chastity device with a partner of mine from, I don't know, 15 years ago and sent him home with it on. And got a call the next morning that it was hurting so much overnight that he had to get the bolt cutters to cut the, through the plastic, which basically broke the toy. And so it was like a $150 toy that literally had to get cut off. And that would have been a lot simpler if I had sent a key home with him. That's why I said it's mitigating the risk. Yeah. Lesson learned. If you're trying for the first time, maybe have a key handy. I actually feel like it can be there. So a lot of the devices use some plastic loops that have num individual numbers on them so that you could put it on that way. If there's an issue, your partner can cut it off and, and deal with the issue. But you can always tell whether they have the same one on that you put on there. A lot of people I know that are ethically non-monogamous will have one partner that they do chastity play with. And sometimes there's another partner who might have a spare key. So that if Cassie and I were sharing a partner, I might have a really hot chastity play date and I might give Cassie a key and Cassie and I can make a point of saying, oh, well, that's locked up unless Cassie wants to use it. And then Cassie can use it. So it can be a really hot way of kind of playing, but also having a little bit of a safety in place, particularly if that's Cassie's nesting partner. Like if shit goes wrong, then Cassie's got. So, you know, you, you talked about a time that had gone sideways. Could you share a, a story of a time when chastity was like you had a really amazing chastity experience? It was close or exciting or just it was really good. I have had a bunch of um, <laughs> one of my partners who's now a very good friend of mine here in Chicago. We were dating long distance and we we used to do some longer term chastity that we would be verifying via Skype or that we would do really fun things. But I found that when we would do a chastity play thing a long distance, it was an amazing way of there being this very much real-time dynamic between the two of us 
even though we were a thousand miles apart. And it very much was he, the lock boxes that you use for, for Airbnbs or for rentals, he would put it up, he would hold it up to the camera and he like, I would see what the combination was because it would allow you to reset. And then he would move all the dials afterwards. I would take a screenshot. He would move all the dials. So he had no idea what the combination was. And at that point, it was all about whether or not I was going to give him the combination. And so it felt very in the moment and in real life at a time when we couldn't be like now. But I, I think that the way that really engaged my creativity and the way that it created this sustained dynamic between the two of us when we weren't physically together was just amazingly hot for both of us. I, That's amazing. I'll throw in one other fun one because this is one that people tell me they might not have <laughs> thought of. I have put a strap-on harness on a partner who was wearing a chastity device so that I could enjoy myself and they could feel nothing. And so that mindfuck of like, I'm pleasuring my partner and I literally can't feel anything, even though my body is doing what my body normally does, has been really fun. That's awesome. I, I really in- appreciate you sharing the long distance story because I think that is something that, especially in, in these times, right, where maybe you have somebody that you engage in a lot of power exchange type interactions or even just DS in the bedroom, that's something that folks can like kind of toy with and play with, yeah. whether it is with advice or not. That idea of having to ask and, and having that real-time closeness, I like that a lot. So, yeah. Like I said, you. it really does blend into lots of other ways of playing. I think in a way that can be really intensely erotic and intensely personal knowing that you have to actually hear that it's okay to take the device off or that you have to be given a a combination code to be able to get the key or that you have to wait for permission to touch yourself those can be really hot and it, it puts our mind it puts our attention in that moment right because when we're waiting for that we're very focused on what's happening Because we know it's, oh, I I really want to do this. What do I have to do in order to get this? And so it brings attention to a really fine point. And as a top, that can be a really powerful place to be. So along with that, something that you had said earlier that I had wanted to make sure we hit because it was really interesting. We talked about the devices and talked about the from the sense of commands, but something else you had said at the beginning was one way of doing chastity can also be about removing sensation. Could you talk a little more about that? Mm-hmm. Um, or dulling sensation? Yeah, I, I think so. If y'all have either, if either of y'all have ever experienced something like mummification, where you can actually like you wrap the body up and then you touch it and they don't necessarily feel that skin on skin sensation, it feels very alien. It feels very unusual. For some people blocking that, thinking about the same thing. I've, uh, we've had somebody that we did that with like vet wrap. We basically vet wrapped over their genitals and they could not, literally could not feel touch. They could feel when we squeezed, but they couldn't feel that skin on skin touch. I've seen other people do it with multiple pairs of pantyhose. So like putting two or three pairs of pantyhose and then panties over that, it takes enough of that sensation away that it's your body doesn't quite know what's happening, but it's not enough. So you can, and that can be a really accessible way of doing it. Actually, the first time I ever saw somebody doing like that kind of chastity play was 
somebody who had basically had to tuck into two or three pairs of pantyhose and they had no ability to like actually look down and see their penis at all because it was so much fabric on top of it and it was tucked. But then trying to get aroused in that was really difficult. And then the way that the sensation was diffused through the fabric was, re- it was just a huge mind fuck for that person. And it was a lot of fun to watch. Um. <laughs> you want to say anything else or? About that? Other than that being really interesting, I don't think so. <laughs> so. I, getting a couple ideas here. Then my work here is done. No. <laughs> <laughs> so. Unfortunately, for at least my topic, they're going to have to be post-COVID ideas, but getting a couple ideas. Cool I don't do the bottoming. I don't do this. not my thing. The cool thing about having ideas during COVID is that we often don't give ourselves a chance to think what if. You know, mm. because we we have what's in front of us and we get used to and take that for granted. And so I think one of the really awesome things that can be a thing that we do now is to think about what would I like for my post-COVID sex life or my post-COVID play life? What was that? What is out there that I wasn't doing before that I, I wish I was doing now? Or what did I try years ago and want to go back to? Or what do I want to make a recommitment to myself to engage in? And I think those can be really healthy ways of dealing with the fact that none of us are getting what we want right now. And rather than sitting there and bemoaning the fact that, yes, we can't go to an event. I am brokenhearted myself about that. But I can think about, oh, I have now so many playdates with people that I haven't seen for a year and have had a couple of conversations about, hey, what do we want to do? when we have a play date together and rethinking it. And I think that can be the most enlivening, healthy way of us navigating times where we're not getting our needs met in those ways is by focusing on what can we do, even if it's thinking it through now and fantasizing about it and jerking off to it and talking dirty about it. And then we get to it later. That's all good. It's always good, you know, anytime there's a challenge to look for where the upside is, right, or the opportunities are there. Mm-hmm. One thing that we've seen a lot with a lot of the, a lot of our clients and people we've interacted with has been one thing that this has given a lot of people some time to do is to take some time to focus on what's been going on, like at home in their relationship. One thing that happens a lot with people, right, is they get in this place of getting really busy and involved in all kinds of things and all kinds of relationships. And they turn around and and look at what's going on, like maybe with their nesting partner or some of their more entwined partners. And they've really let that go. But and it's definitely not like where they want it to be. But, you know, they're so busy and there's so many things that you don't get around to dealing with it Mm -hmm. and one thing that we've seen a lot of is this oh man like i've had to be home with people right like i've actually had to stop and fix the things that have been festering here for a long time and really get that back to a place where it's great and and so i've seen definitely you know just talking about like the opportunities i've definitely seen that focus shift for a lot of people Mm -hmm. right where they're being pulled back to what's in front of them to things that maybe they've been able to ignore or they've had other ways to relieve the pressure without ever actually dealing with the problems and people taking the opportunity to actually turn things around and get their relationships back to where they want to be like there's as much as this has been just awful in so (laughs) many ways for so many people and well i think it's been awful in some ways for everybody there have definitely been a few things where i've seen people take the time to and the opportunity to grow. And I think whether that's 
like I said, realizing, hey, like I'm going to finally get my relationship back to where I want it to be, or it is planning for things you haven't had time to plan for. Even just, I think when this does come back around, right. And we are post COVID probably having a period of time where we're not taking some things for granted that we took for granted yeah. before, whether it's the ability to go out to a party or the ability to go hook up with a partner, right. Or to see people we haven't been able to see or do things we haven't been able to do. Yeah. There's going to be some, there are going to be some lasting positive changes as well, I think. So I think that we're human beings when we're struggling to make sense of trauma or of issues that come up. One of the things that our brains do is we look for a meaning. We want to know like, why did this happen? Why, what is going on? If you're living in this world, there's no reason for it. We can't say, oh, this happened because blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's just, it, that distracts us from the fact that it's happening. I think, though, that the the way that we can move into a really healthy mindset with it is to decide, what is the meaning that I'm going to make of this? What's going to be important to me? My boy and I are not, we're nesting partners. We don't live together. We both do some form of solo polyamory or relationship anarchy. But we've been each other's kind of COVID partners. And us going through enforced monogamy, at least physically, for six months before we were able to figure out what the protocols needed to be for him to see his other partners, it was it was a masterclass for us in putting our values into action in a different way. Because it's easy for me to, to deal with my stuff when I only see him once a week and I have other partners that I can see. There's a status quo that happens with that. But when, as people who engage in ethical non-monogamy, we had to rethink why all of those things are the way they are. What do we mean by safety? What do we mean by getting consent? Not that we hit any big hurdles that were really challenging, but it was a really big lesson in we never know everything because as the situation in the world changes, as the situation in our relationships change, we have to adapt. I'm really proud that we hit our seven-year anniversary last month. This has been the most challenging year that we've had uh, in our relationship. And I have a lot more faith that the decisions that we've made over the right ones because we have taken that time. And we have thought about what is really in our highest good, and also what is a reflection of, of the values that we bring to our relationship. So it's been an amazing, it, it's been an amazing learning experience, still a fucking learning experience, but it's been a pretty amazing one. Those are the, the two, anytime you're in a challenge, right? Two of the most important questions you can ask, like you said, what's the meaning I'm giving this, right? And the other one is, and, and I know this is a hard question with COVID, but that's why it's an important question. What could be great about this, right? Mm -hmm. What's the opportunity here in this? Because it's always there, even in a situation as crappy as COVID yeah. and it's just finding it, right? And look, if we're gonna suck, we might as well get something out of it along the way. Yeah. Really, it just, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> we might as well take what we could take from this away because we're living through the suck either way with it, so. Yeah, it's amazing to me. I was reading a study recently that said the number of men who ideas bisexual on dating apps has actually gone up. And I think some of it is that we've, when we've got a slowdown, it makes us really think about what we're about, really. And so I think that there are a lot of people who have decided, okay, let's open our relationship up. There's been a lot of people who have decided to change the labels they use to describe their orientation or their gender. Because we've had this enforced time of physical aloneness, but great connection via the internet. People have been able to partake in conversations that help them understand themselves better in ways that we wouldn't have a year ago. 
And maybe some people have discovered that they're really curious about chastity. Yes, so, we should get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, so let me ask you those two other things I want to tie into that. You like that? I just made that work there. You know, the hallmark of a good facilitator is the ability to segue into a new topic. <laughs> so and bring it back around. And bring it back around. Even a topic that I derailed there. So let me ask this. So there's one other health question I want to ask mm -hmm. because I'm sure people have this. I know we've been off the health topic for a little while, but I feel like I'd be remiss not asking this because I think this is a common like thought, which is okay. So we talked about like cleanliness and some things I hadn't even thought of, like the twisting and things like that. But I think especially for penis havers, right? What about people who have the concern, like, well, is it healthy to be in chastity long-term and not to orgasm? And what about like prostate cancer? And what would your answers be to that, those kind of concerns? Okay, so like the, the snarky person in my brain just said, well, it sounds like somebody's complaining, but that's the snarky <laughs> part of my brain. Um, so there are some studies that show that people with prostates can decrease the risk of prostate cancer by ejaculation. So that could be a thing that is a health consideration. For some people, it's probably a negligible health consideration. But there are also ways to stimulate the prostate and, in fact, encourage ejaculation that don't tie into an orgasm through prostate massage. So if that is a consideration, you could even use that as a way to play with somebody and pretend that it's, oh, I'm really concerned about your health. So we're going to do some prostate <laughs> stimulation today. Let me play doctor. Everybody has a different risk level internally of what's their acceptable level. For some people, particularly people who've got a, a family history of prostate cancer or some people who may feel really concerned about that, this might not be an acceptable risk level for you. And that's totally okay. Do we have concrete proof that orgasms keep, keep you from having prostate cancer? No. Is there some indication that regularly flushing the radiator can help? Yes. So I think it, it does come down to what is your personal acceptable risk level? And then go based on that. Well, and even if it is your risk level for whatever reason, I'd be really curious study-wise because I'm sure that there, you know, even in the studies where that's been indicated, I'm curious and I don't know what like the threshold is there, yeah. right? Because it's, there's some threshold somewhere for what, what that looks like. You know, I'd assume even for whatever reason, that is something that is completely outside of your comfort zone long-term, that doesn't prevent a lot of the other stuff that we've discussed yeah. as far as where a lot of people fall on the shorter-term play. If, right? The other thing is if it's a mental or emotional thing about, I really want to be in long-term chastity, it is entirely possible to frame that as a function that has to be done as opposed to a pleasure that has to be obtained. I could see lots of ways of framing that as this is like, it can be really not terribly pleasurable. It could be something like, okay, you're allowed to have an orgasm, but only if you do X, Y, and Z, or you have two minutes to do it, or you can put rules on it that make it less appealing and also, you know, get the radiator flushed. I think a, a great way to wrap up before we hop into the speed round would be to say if our listeners were like, okay, so I've listened to this long chat and this sounds really exciting and it's super cool. My partner's on board. Cool. I want to do it tomorrow. What would be like, a handful of things that you would say, these are the need to knows if you're going to dive into this tomorrow. What would you tell them? The first thing that I would say is understand why you want to do it. Is the purpose of your chastity play about physically restricting an orgasm? Is it about teasing denial? 
know what the end is before you get to the beginning. Because like we've talked about different perspectives on chastity play. One person might be saying yes to something that the other person is not. Oh, would you like to do some chastity play? One person is thinking, oh, it's going to be a hot burlesque tease and denial thing. And then I'm going to come at the end. The other person might be thinking, oh, I'm going to be locked up for a year. Two totally different things. So know what the end result needs to be before you get started. Please remember that even if you are doing chastity, that you do get to call a stop to things. Don't necessarily feel like you have to be engaged in it for the entire time. Nobody wants to see that face on their partner of, oh, this just went wrong. So use your words or use your safe words, depending on what your how your structure is. If you are going to use a physical device, Make sure that you have a way to get out of it very quickly. With bolt cutters, sure. A key for a lock or unbuckling a belt could also be really useful. But make sure that you can get out quickly if you need to. The other thing is make it playful the first time. If you're going to be doing chastity play, keep it a lighter scene or keep it something that's not as intense. Because then when you're done with it, the feedback you're getting is more specifically on the chastity play. So if you're going to do chastity and pegging and a massive flogging scene and something else, that might be a lot to process. So keep it down to just just try the chastity with a little something else so that at the end of it, you can decide, yeah, is this, is this the thing that we want to do? And, and hopefully you'll say yes. That's fantastic. Oh, I feel like chastity and pegging is 90% of the chastity porn that I see pop mm-hmm. up. Let's be real about it. The majority of what's out there for chastity play it involves female dominant, male submissive. And there is usually a level of humiliation that's involved in it. And there's almost always some sort of objectification and penetration that's happening. And the problem with that is that's only one particular framework for doing it. And everything else in the kink community we know is that there's many different ways to do it as there are people that are doing it. And I think that a lot of people go like, they see that and they're like, oh, that's what chastity play is. I don't necessarily want to do that when that's one facet of it, but there are a hundred other facets to play with. I think that's a fantastic way to wrap this up and go into the speed Mm -hmm. round. Yeah, so do I. Awesome. I'll brace myself. Okay. (laughs) So the idea here is to do them as fast as you can, Mm -hmm. right? Like you try to do it in 60 seconds. Don't overthink it. And we'll just go through them really quick. Whatever first pops into your head. No way to not do this right. So first one, what's something you're not very good at? Dealing with stress. Okay. The best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Listen without trying to figure out what they're going to say ahead of time. That's a good one. What are three things you couldn't live without? My teddy bear, my iPhone, and my Wesco boots. What turns you on? Passion. Tell me something that's true that almost no one agrees with you on. Oh my God. Cilantro is awful. It is the worst thing in the entire fucking world. I just made dinner with cilantro. How <laughs> dare you? Ah, a book you would recommend for our listeners. And it can't be yours. I'm actually really enjoying the book Polysecure by Jessica Fern that just came out, dealing with attachment styles in specifically in polyamorous and central non-monogamy. It's an amazing book. And it's as somebody who's been doing this for 20 years, it's new information for me, which is really unusual. What is your biggest fear? Oh, abandonment. Isn't that everybody's? 
what's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? And this can be like a sexual thing or non-sexual thing, but like super adventurous. The first person I hooked up with for a kink date, we had sex. He was choking me out on the grass across the street from a 7-Eleven. And it was my first public sex ever in my life. So Nice. So who is your movie, TV, famous person crush? Mel from Great British Baking Show. Oh, no, not Mel. Sorry. Sue Perkins. Why don't you just take that back? Although there's so many, there's so many hot butch folks that are like, there's so much butch presence right now that I just kind of roll around. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) So what's something you're working on right now that you'd like our listeners to know about? You know, I have a couple of writing projects that I'm I'm playing with, but I think the thing that I'm really proud about is the educational series that I'm curating. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. Awesome. And where can folks find you on the interwebs and where can they find uh, hashtag open on the interwebs? Super simple. I am at sarahsloan.net and hashtag open is at spelled out hashtag open.com. You can also find us in the app store and on the Google Play store, but we try to keep it simple and everybody just use an easy way to find you. Those are important things when it comes to the internet (laughs) awesome thank you so much for joining us today sarah oh it was my pleasure i i I appreciate y'all's patience with my hedgehog making some noise that's perfectly (laughs) fine thanks for listening to the touch of flavor podcast where we're building relationships outside of the box Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 